Hello friends, welcome back to the show. Today my guest is Duncan Simmons. Duncan owns and runs Simmons Aprys, a business based in Tremonton in the southwest of England. Duncan has been keeping bees for over 50 years and for 35 years as a professional. He produces queens, honey, offers training and sells equipment for dealing with Varroa, which we're going to be talking about in this episode. Hope you enjoy. Duncan Simmons, welcome to the show. Hi. So uh, we'll get started today, Duncan, with a funny story about beekeeping, if you've got one. Yeah, I've got I've got several. Um, the funniest thing that I can remember is I used to do a lot of um, swarm control when I was younger, when I first started out. Obviously, wanted to get as many bees as I could, so going out and finding and getting swarms was the best way to do it. Anyway, I had a phone call from a woman um, who lived in Plymouth, a local city, and she said um, she's got a problem with bees. She said, do you remove them? I said, yeah, I do. And she says, I said, where is it? And she said, uh, it's in my house. And I said, well, okay. I said, whereabouts are they? She said, well, on my window. And uh, I said, okay. She said, how much do you charge? And at the time, I think it was about 35, 40 pounds I charged to go and get them out. And she said, when could you come? I said, well, where, how many are there? And she said, only one. I said, <laughs> only one. And she said, yeah, it's only one B. She said, I'm terrified of them. He said, can you come and get it out? And I thought, oh my goodness. I was expecting loads and loads of them to be infested in our house. And it was one B. So I had to basically talk her through how to get a glass and a piece of paper. <laughs> And, yeah, you know, cover it with a glass and slide the paper underneath. And luckily, she did it. I said, I can't come in and charge you for one B. <laughs> it uh, might have yeah, been I've a wasp loads anyway. Of, loads of fun, fun. Sorry, it might have been a wasp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I wouldn't have charged any different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Yes, yeah, so I've had some funny things to do over the years. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um. Duncan, you use the Buckfast bee. Uh, is that the only type of bee you're using at the moment? How did you get started working with them? I, I Yeah, I use the Buckfast. I really like using the Buckfast. When I first started keeping bees in when I was nine, nine years old, I just used the same as everybody else. If, if a swarm turned up, that was it, you used it. And then as I grew and got more and more hives, then I wanted to, I heard about this magical man at Buckfast Abbey who had bred this super bee and I wanted to try and use them if I could. But um, back at the time you didn't have internet or anything. So it was hard to get information about these people. Um, but eventually I did and I started using it. And I just, I just really like the bee. I like the way you can work with, I don't wear gloves or anything like that with them. It's almost like they've got an understanding of how you, you're working with them. And you know, they, they're, they're very gentle. Uh, they they do beautiful wax cuppings. They're very very prolific. Um, I, I, they just suit my my way of beekeeping really. Mm. And we were speaking earlier that it was Peter Donovan at Buckfast Abbey who got you started with the Buckfast bee. Yeah, I, I think I was in my twenties at the time. Yeah, um, I've been beekeeping for quite a while, and 
I, I wanted to breed. I really wanted to breed. And I suppose every beaker goes through the stages of making a nuke and then they go into queen rearing. You know, you do all these steps. And I really wanted to make my own queens. And I, I found out about um, Buttfar, so I rang them up and I said, look, I, I would really like some queens or if you know where I can get some queens. So they said, well, give this gentleman a ring. He's called Peter Donovan. So I gave Peter a ring in the evening and he was a really lovely gentleman. He spent time with me on the phone. And, and you know, because I was a youngster, he, he could see I was enthused about doing bees and queen rearing. And I said, do you sell, you know, do you sell them so I could have something good, you know, some good line to start with? And he said, no, I'm afraid we don't. Um, you can't get them from here. And I said, oh, anyway, we talked a bit further. He said, anyway, Duncan, you leave it with me. So he asked for my telephone number and I left it with him. Anyway, the next evening he rang me up and he said, um, how long would it take you to get to Buckfast? And I've, I only had a little motorbike. I said, well, I could probably be there in 45 minutes. So I... He said, well, you come up here. He said, I've got something for you. And he'd spoken to Brother Adam and he kindly agreed to give me six queens to breed from. And I tell you what, that was the most precious cargo that was put tucked inside my jacket and brought home. Oh, wow. Oh, but it was, it was just such a lovely thing for him to do. You know, yeah, and that's that, fantastic. Yeah. And I've never forgotten that. You know, it was it, I think he could see there was a little spark in me and he just wanted to get it going you know and uh, but yeah and then he helped me further as well you know over the years i could ring him up and get information and help and he was fantastic right so did you spend some time working in the buckfast uh, apiaries no i didn't um all i did basically was talking and getting information and i met brother adam a couple of times um but i was a youngster you know i was just I, I used to go to the acres and I used to, I can remember the home acre at Buckfast as a young boy looking over the gate there, the metal gate, and seeing how beautifully laid out all the colonies were. And I was just, and that was, that's what grabbed me. And I just thought, God, I hope one day I have a place like this. You know, and you could see the gentleman, he, he took so much pride in the bees and how he set them up. And, and it was just beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic. So, had you been using the the british native bee previous to that yes i had yeah and, yeah. I, and you know I, I, the problem is a lot of people don't know the difference a lot of people keep um mongrel bees and they don't know that you can have this bee that's so quiet and easy to work with um i remember bringing someone over to, to buy a nuke once and i opened up the hive to show them and they said what's the matter with them I said, what do you mean? What's the matter with them? He said, well, they're not doing anything. They're not moving. And I said, well, well what do you want them to do? He said, well, don't they fly up at you or anything? I said, well, they will if you kick the hive. But these are docile. They're gentle. And they didn't know. They just really didn't know. And you're pulling frames out and the bees are just quietly going about their business. They're not fizzy, if you know what I mean. They're just really quiet. And I don't think a lot of people realize that you can actually get bees like that. Yeah, it's 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 very surprising the first time you see it, and because uh, I remember when I started beekeeping, I would see people not wearing a suit and uh, and you know handling the bees very calmly, and I thought, oh, that must be just their technique, you know. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until I saw the first hive that was like that, and I, I couldn't believe it, and I thought, oh, this is chalk yeah. and cheese. Uh, having nice bees, it makes a big difference. 
see in the summer I just wear a t-shirt and and I do wear a veil because you never know you know there may be one in there that's having a bad day and he comes out or she comes out and he wants to have you know sting you in the eye so I always wear a veil mm-hmm. but you you over the years especially working them for as long as I have over 50 years you you do get in tune with them and mm-hmm. you do know it instantly when they're upset or when the mood's going to change uh, you really have this I don't know real connection mm-hmm. uh, people say to me you know it's dangerous not wearing a thing I said well it isn't because you I, I can tell what's going to happen you know you can read them yeah absolutely it's fantastic that uh, you know you've been working bees for over 50 years so I can imagine that you've got a mech, like a fantastic experience doing that yeah, yeah, I mean, over the over the years, you get to see all sorts of things. I mean, seeing queens come back from mating flights, um, you know, with a mating sign, you see that a lot. Um, I've seen queens go into hives, swarm, you know, swarms. I've put them into a hive, and she's come out on her own, flown around while the while the rest of the bees are already in there settled, fly around, then go back in again. And you think, what on earth has she done that for? But you see a lot, a lot of things happen. You know, I've seen laying workers. Um, I've actually got a video of that of a laying worker laying, and it's quite unusual because they're laying, and, you, and none of the other bees take any notice of them whatsoever. But they just <laughs> go along, lay an egg, go into the next cell, lay an egg, and yeah. Right. Now you're maintaining your lines using AI. Have you ever thought about going up to Dartmoor and doing it the same way as Brother Adam did? Um, I did once. I did think about getting a site up there before I really got into AI. Yeah. Um, but AI is, you can control so much with AI. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes you can control too much because when you've got a queen goes out on a flight, she, there's natural selection there. So with the drones, only the fittest will, will catch her. But with... Um, with AI, you're picking drones off the frame. So there's no selection. So I don't know if I'm getting a good drone or not. Likewise with queens, when they rear a queen, the bees select the queen that's going to be used. I don't, every single cell that I graft into is gonna be a good cell, you know, and it's gonna be a queen. I don't know if she's really, really good or really, really poor. So the natural selection disappears when you're doing AI. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. You obviously because, pick from your best. Yes. But you still don't have that competition, if you like. Yes. Yeah, I understand what you mean. That's a very interesting way to say it. Can you tell me what it's like? Uh, the Buckfast bees, how do they go with Varroa? Um, you see, you get these people that say that they've got these hygienic bees and they can the bees will get rid of the mites but the bees can't really do that because what happens is once the mite gets onto a bee within 30 minutes it can replicate the odor of its host so all all bees within a hive smell differently so if your guard bees smell differently if your nurse bees smell differently because of the sense that they give off. Well, if a mite jumps onto a, say a nurse bee and it replicates that smell, in the dark, 
the bee thinks that's part of the 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 bee itself so it won't kill it won't do anything with it so it only has a 30 minute window where it can find it and do something about it once that's gone it's basically a ghost so the bee can't see it so to say that bees can get rid of them you know i don't i don't believe that's what's happening because like i say that they can ghost themselves when they're on a bee i think they're doing some research now to get rid of the gene that enables the mite to do that and if they do that then obviously the mite will be able to get the, the bees will get rid of it because it will become visible to them then with the scent yeah that's interesting uh, all of this um, mite sensitive behavior something uh, we've got to look forward to in australia hopefully not <laughs> yeah well yeah. hopefully it'll be sort, something will be sorted by then you know but it, it, it's it's a problem here but uh, they, they, you know, pe we seem to be keeping on top of it now. Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit about the device that you're using currently to deal with Varroa? Yeah, I've recently got involved with Instant Vap. Um, it's a new product. It was it was designed and and made by a, a gentleman called Janos in um, Hungary. Um, I saw it on a YouTube video being demonstrated by a friend of mine. And I called him and said, you know, this looks interesting. Uh, what's it like? He said, well, it looks brilliant. I mean, it's well made. And so I said, well, I might get in because I write for Beecraft in the UK, which is a magazine for beekeepers and bee farmers. Um, I thought it would be a nice article to write about new products on the market. So I got in touch with uh, Janos and said, look, you know, could I get hold of a, a unit to try? And he said, yeah. So he sent me a unit and I, I was you know amazed by it. it's brilliant you can tell as soon as you pick it up you can tell it's been made by a beekeeper um and and you i couldn't fault it it's made from stainless steel it's the nozzles are made of brass so it's gonna it's gonna last and last and last and the beauty of it also was it it ran on a mobile battery which is like a battery you have on a tool uh, 18 volt battery so it was really mobile um, anyway, tried it and I said to him, you know, what, what are you doing with it? You know, who's distributing it over here? And he said he didn't have anyone at the time. And he said, would you like to do it? And I thought, well, yeah, I can't see how they're going to be so easy to sell because it's such a good product. Um, and we're doing really well selling them. And everybody, the feedback we've had has been tremendous. Everybody really enjoys using it. And the beauty is it's so quick to use and so easy to use. People do it. If you've got to get out batteries and trailing leads and everything else to do your oxalic acid treatments, and it's a, a pretty miserable day, you won't do it. You'll put it off. And it's one of those things, one of those jobs you can't put off. It needs to be done. It's a time critical job, really. Hmm. And for the listeners here, it, it looks a little bit like a cordless drill. And so yeah. fairly easy to use. You just have to go up to the front of the hive. It, it's it take it out of the case or whatever you you've got it in, and it's it's just boom boom. How long does yeah, it take so, to do a hive, Duncan? So so you get an eighteen volt battery. I use yes. a five amp eighteen volt Dewalt, and basically I put that on the machine. It takes one and a half amps to heat it up. It gets to two hundred and thirty degrees, and it's important that it gets to that two hundred and thirty degrees because that's when you get the most vapor and the, at the quickest amount of time. So you basically put two grams in through a dispenser into the top, you sit it in, 
And when you're ready to, to use it, you poke it into the hive, you tap the top, it dispenses the oxalic acid, and then that will boil immediately. And basically, there's so much vapour comes out, it just covers the whole internals of the hive. Um, and then it's basically um, covers it. And it takes about 25 seconds. So by the time you've done those 25 seconds, it's heated up, ready for the next one. So it, as soon as it has a drop in temperature, it immediately starts reheating again. So it's a very, very quick process. I can go into an apiary with 12 hives and be out of there within eight minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. Very quick. Now, yeah, can, very you tell quick. Us, can you tell us, Duncan, a little bit about the, the style of hives you're using? You're using mainly deep boxes. I assume they're nationals. Is that right? Yeah, well, because I sell a lot of bees as nuclei, I do commercials, um, Langstroth, Nationals, um, and 14 by 12s, which is like a very deep national. But yeah, I use Nationals and I use Supers. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting away a bit from honey now and doing more breeding because the breeding side of it is basically taken over. Mm. Yeah, and so you're using the, the deep brood box and then shallow boxes as supers. Do you find that that is a good arrangement for queen breeding? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mainly do it because of my back. You know, right. I've got a bad back. I've got beekeeper's back, you yep. know, where you're always taking off, taking off stuff and moving it and it eventually your back, you know, your L5 in your spine gets worn away. So I, I've got to be careful with how I lift. And I used to use big boxes for honey, but it's just too heavy for me now. So yeah. I use the smaller boxes and I've started to use a lot of polystyrene now. Um, they yeah. can last a long time if they're looked after. So, and that's a lot lighter to use. But yeah, I use, I use um, brew boxes for all my queen rearing. So I use a double, a double brew box. Um, and then I'll put the grafts above a queen excluder, above a queen ripe colony. Mm, right. Yeah, it's interesting with beekeeping. It might be one of the only industries left where you're allowed to carry that much weight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the trouble, I think the thing is, I don't think they'll ever get involved with beekeepers because they'll have to come out and make sure it's um, it's done. And I don't think they want to come through and look at the uh, the bees that closely, <laughs> so, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, had right. a I had a VAT man come out once to do an inspection. I said, do you want to come out and have a look at the hives and the bees? And he said, no, 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 you're all right. <laughs> oh that's funny so you're using the night cot system um, which yeah. is quite popular in england i believe yes i've i've used that for quite a while now and and it's so frustrating when you see people having so they see they don't like it because they don't do it properly right and it, it's it's there there's a method to using it and what people don't realizes whenever you put something new into a hive they'll put a queen into the cage and expect her to lay there is no possible way she's going to lay that we keep our cages in the hives all year so they smell of the hive completely she's walked over it thousands of times as soon as you put her in that cage to lay she'll lay in it immediately because she knows it it's part of her colony if wow. you put like so you're referring red. to the nicot cage the cage. Yeah. yeah 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 and and, mm -hmm. and a lot of people just put it in on an empty frame mm -hmm. and expect her to lay in it 
mm-hmm. and, and she, she won't, you know, and they say, oh, it's rubbish, it doesn't work. It works if you put it in and leave its part of the hive. Right, so you're saying put it in and leave it with the, the top off so it's exposed. Yes, yeah, and yeah. let them get used to it. Let them clean yeah. it, let them get propolis all over it, and, and then she'll lay in it because she wow. recognizes it. Wow, and do you find that she'll ever lay in it without the cage top on it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd leave the tops off in the winter and she, you go there and it'll be laid in. It's, it's part of the hive. Right. Okay, that's really interesting because a lot of the people that I know who use the Dicot system, they have avoided using the cage for that reason. They just use the little cups. And, right. Uh, and, and one of the interesting things about the Dicot system is that it, the cages fit over the top of the, uh, the, the cells when they're drawn out, which is really cool. And, and yeah. I think that's the big draw card for most people. But usually people just use them for the cell cups and the cages and not, and not the, the laying cage. But that's really interesting what you said. And I've never heard that said before. I can, I can put queens into cages. And also sometimes people leave them in there too, too long. Like I've heard people put them in there for two or three days. I put mine in there for two hours. Right, the laying cage. And she'll, she'll lay the whole cage in two hours. Right. And when yep. what happens is if you leave them in too long, the bees will go in, the nurse bees that are in there with her will go in, take the eggs and take them out and put them in other cells somewhere else. Because really? they're trying to give her somewhere to lay. Yeah, they're trying to give her somewhere. She wants to lay and there's nowhere for her to lay. Okay, that's interesting. So they'll go and clear it out and make yeah, space. Yeah, so she can lay. <laughs> okay, that's really interesting. Wow. So if you go in after two hours, she should have laid the whole cage. Or at least okay. enough for what you want to use. I mean, a lot of people won't use need to use a hundred. So, and then what you do is you just take take her out, and then you leave them to hatch out on the on the third day, and then a day later you take them away and uh, put them into your queen rearing colony. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. That's great advice, Duncan. So you're not doing any grafting at all. You're just relying on this system, and yeah, uh, I still and, you, and you find that I, it works great. I still graft. So okay. um, just to keep my eye on, eye in, I guess, you know, but uh, yeah, this is the way I do it because the trouble with grafting is, and although people say, yeah, it's easy and everything, you're still touching that lava. Mm-hmm. So that you've always got a chance of damage in it. But with this, you're not doing anything to it. And it's already in a bed of royal jelly. So on the, on the fourth day, when it's a day old, you take it out. No one's touched it. You know, it's as is. So you've got it at the perfect age and you've got it in its own royal jelly, not some jelly you've mixed up to go with it to give it a bed. You know, this is its own stuff. So it's, it's, it's perfect. You, you know, why go and mess around with it? Hmm. No, that's fantastic. And actually, you're teaching this style of queen rearing in the Caribbean, I've been reading. Yeah, I, I went, I've been there twice now. Um, the, the, the first time I went was to teach queen rearing. And the second time was to do with climate change. And you oh, think, wow. and people think, you know, St. Lucia, you know, why would they have worried about climate change? Why? But it, it's having a real impact in St. Lucia. You know, the weather is changing all the time. It's the same as we are. And I don't know what it's like in Australia, but everybody's being affected by this. And you, I was so naive. I didn't think they would be affected at all, but it is. Um, so we're trying to give them methods to have better bees and more productive bees um the problem with saint lucia was as well which was interesting 
is they don't have a lot of flowers that are good for bees. Um, the, the, the trees that they have was, were predominantly pollinated by um, hummingbirds. So having bees there and having bees to try and um, get uh, nectar from these sources was difficult. So they're trying to introduce more flowers that can be used for the bees or by the bees. That's really interesting. So they're bringing in flowers and bees in into the country. Well, they've got. They're basically trying to breed from the best of what they've got at the moment. Right. Um, okay. They are doing insemination. We taught them how to do insemination out there. Um, so they're inseminating their own bees, and they're they're doing really well now. And it and and it's also given the people of the islands a, an income. You know, because honey sells for quite a lot of money in Saint Lucia, where I went. And so it's giving them an income in, in a in a country that basically only has tourism and bananas. Right. Well, that's fantastic. So I've also seen a few photos of you using real wax cups. Is that, yeah. Well, you I, 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 is that what you yeah. taught over there or is that something you've just played around with occasionally? No, it's something I started with. You know, I, I used to get my pieces of dowel and dip them in molten wax back into the water back into the wax and make my own cell cups um it's just a, i don't know it was, it's just a traditional way that you still i still do sometimes now um because i don't really like using plastic but it's a case that it's having to do so much of it and so many um it was a way of doing it you know quickly with the with the with the wax you know, you've got to make all those, then you've got to make all the frames from to go on, then you've got to make this, then you've got to make that. So it's, it's, it takes up a lot of time. You know, if I was just doing, if I was just looking after maybe a hundred colonies, then I would, I would definitely use the wax. Hmm. Right. It, it is time consuming to make them. And I've done it a few times as well. It's, it's interesting. The bees seem to like them, but they don't seem to take to them from what I've noticed. They don't seem to take to them any more than they do the plastic cups. Have you noticed any differently? No, they, the plastic cups are just as good. Like yeah. I say, if you put it, you know, it's, it's the same as people using plastic foundation, really. If you've got plastic foundation, it's in a hive and they get used to it and it smells of them, then they'll use it. And it's just like what I was saying with the Nico cage. Get it in there, get them to smell it, get them to use it as their own hive. You know, they know it's theirs and they, they'll lay in it and they'll use anything to rear queens in if it, if it smells of them. Right. So do you notice any advantages in using the wax cups? No. No. Okay. No, I haven't. I, I the, the best cell that you'll ever get is a swarm cell. And I've seen swarm cells with so much royal jelly in it. it it's ridiculous. And then you do, you try and get re do that method where you've got a hive that's so full of bees it's ready to swarm and you put your own cells in there that you've grafted or you've used from the Nico system and you'll never get the same amount of royal jelly in. You'll get loads of royal jelly in, but never as much as they do under normal swarming instinct. So, you know, you can't replicate all of it. You can't make it exactly how it should be. Some people use royal jelly to prime the cells and then other people do it completely uh, from scratch. Dry. Yeah. yeah. And do you notice that it makes a difference doing one or the other? Yeah, it does. And the reason is when you're, when you're grafting, if you're not very quick at it and you take a, a larva and you take it out of its jelly and put it into a cell, 
it will start to dry depending on what sort of day you've got and if it's a warm day and there isn't much moisture in the air then it tends to dry out quicker i always use a little bit of jelly so whenever i come across a hive that's got some swarm cells in it i take that jelly and i put it in a little container and i keep it um so i'll mix it with a little bit of syrup when i'm doing a a, a graft and i'll pop a little bit into those cells before i put the the, the day-old lava in mm, that's um, a really good idea how, how long have you sort of seen that that will keep well oh it'll keep well for a long time if you put it in the fridge it'll keep and keep and keep especially if you mix it with a little bit of honey it should keep forever you know it's the same as honey which just keep and keep and keep but you just it's only there for moisture the bees will take that away they'll eat that they'll clear it all up and then they'll start putting royal jelly back it's mainly they you know they won't leave it in there for the lava they'll take that away but it's only in there to keep the the lava moist so it doesn't dry out that's its only purpose right well that's fantastic a really good piece of advice there um with in terms of mating nukes i've seen that you seem to use several different types of mating nukes which yeah i've I've used quite a lot. Um, I started off using the Apidea, um, the little boxes, and I, I found that they were fine for the first queen that you put through them. So the first virgin you put in with, a, with your shook bees, you put them in, get them going, she lays, she starts laying, so you take her out, you put her into a colony or wherever, wherever you're gonna do with her, then you put another virgin in. I always found on the second one, a lot of them would, would abscond. Uh, they would just leave and they would all go with her. Um, even if they had brood in there to look after it, may, it seemed to make no difference. They'd leave. So I thought, well, I've got to make a bigger one. So what I did then is I made a four frame nuke. Um, I designed it myself and, and made it out of polystyrene. Um, and that worked well. And believe it or not, on four, four frames, they were only half a national supers, I would guess. So you've basically got the bees on two super frames if you like if you put them all together and they would they would overwinter which was mad but you could hold your queens in there um but then i thought well i want something that i can stack up really because these weren't ones you could stack they were basically a feeder was on the back then you had the bees on it so it was only that small unit and then i started using the mini plus and i really like the mini plus the Mini Plus has six frames, so they're half a Dadent super frame, and there's six of them, um, and you can stack those. So, and the other thing I do is I make my own roofs for those, so I can actually put a, a rapid feeder under the roof. Right, yeah, and, and you find that feeding them really helps. Oh yeah, you've got to feed them, then they'll never, um, well, you don't you don't want them to have to go and get food because it's a small colony. You want to give them something that they don't have to do. So if you can give them the, the syrup, then you give them the syrup and then they can use their energy to go out and get pollen. So you're trying to cut down their work because they also have to have a fair few that stay into the hive to, to just maintain the temperature. But obviously having it made out of um, polystyrene helps that anyway. But um, yeah, you're trying to keep a small colony um, and, and make it viable. So you're trying to help it every way you can. And then they just grow. So what happens is you build them up. I've had them 11 high, um, which are like 
you know, pretty precarious when they get that big. But then you can split those then. And then you've made, you've got 11 nicks then, mating nicks, rather than one. Ah, that's an interesting way of doing it. So you you put a, a regular colony inside uh, the the mini plus mating nukes stacked up. Yeah. Let them build and, it out, and then yeah. use that as a. Ma- oh, that's really interesting. And then yeah. I split I split it just as you would a, a, a nuke. So you yes. have a frame of food, frame of sealed brood, frame of pollen, frame of um, wet brood, um, and that's it. And a frame of wax, and then that's it. Then you take that away, leave it twenty four hours. 24 hours later you put a sealed queen cell in there and away it goes wow yeah that's a great idea and it's richard noel also uses these mini plus mating nukes i've seen a few videos of him using them same same as you making his own lids and using a rapid feeder yeah and looks really good they're good they're good kit i think they're made they're made in germany i think yeah um, he, he's got a really good video where he's introducing one of your queens into his apiary and he's using the push-in cage method. Have you seen the video? Yeah, I have. Um, I use the same method myself. I've got pushing cages that I guess they're about, um, in old money, five, six inches by six inches. Uh, so what you do is you, you put, place that cage over hatching brood. Yeah, and you put her in on her own, so there's no other bees on the frame. And what happens is, as those bees hatch out, they don't know who she is. She, they know she's a, a queen, but they don't know she's a, a foreign queen. So they start looking after her, and then she starts laying into the frames they've hatched out of. So once yeah. that queen starts laying, the bees won't get rid of her. They will mm. not kill a, a laying queen. And do you think this is the best method to use when introducing a foreign queen from a different apron? If, <laughs> if I if I bought a queen for three or four hundred pounds, I definitely use this method because I have never ever lost a queen doing it this way. Yeah, um, I've used them in. I, I, if if I'm in a rush or whatever, I will sometimes put them in a traveling cage and put them in. But I will never put them in with attendants. Always put them in on their own. Because the problem with putting them in with other bees from another hive is they carry scent. They're, there's more chance of them holding that scent if they're in a group. But when she's in there on her own, she basically then takes on the scent of the hive. So I always put her in on her own um, to be introduced. But my my favourite method would be the bigger cage, the pressing cage. So you've got your hatching bees coming out into that. And, and you've got to make sure there's pollen and honey underneath there as well. So that the bees that hatch out into that cage have some way of eating and feeding. Mm. I've, I've used this method myself many times and I think it's very successful. A few of my friends have used it and they've said that you have to be careful that you only do it on a, on a well-established frame. If you do it on a, on a newer frame, the bees can dig under. I yeah, they had will. that experience myself, but apparently that's a bit of an issue. So it has to be a nice, dark, well-used brood frame. I had one person who said that they went in from the other side. So oh, they really? dug through from the other side, <laughs> the other <laughs> side of the frame through to get yeah. her out that way. Okay, but the, wow. it's obviously harder to do it on older comb because you've got the cocoons in the frame, in the wax cells then, you see. So it's harder. But they will. They'll dig under and get her out. Quite often you'll go in and you'll, you'll think, oh, where is she? She's nowhere on the 
on the cage and they have dug through to let her out but it takes enough time for them to dig dig her out so she's taken on the, the scent of the hive already mm. i'm not sure if you saw this with peter donovan but brother adam used to favor introducing queens with their own frames so he'd take the frames and introduce the whole frame into the established hive and i know that peter i know because i was talking with terry meekin last week and he was telling me that peter did use cages when introducing queens so i'm not sure what was the preferred method at buckfast for that no i think you just use whatever you're gonna you know you get the most success with um i've i've have done times where i've used um the you know the normal yellow traveling cages and had great success with them and then i've used them another time and have loads of failures with them uh but i i the best method i've used is is the pressing cage you know the one that you press in over the hatching brood and you put her in there and i haven't lost any queens that way and if, and like i say if you're introducing a very valuable queen then you want to use the best method you can hmm yeah absolutely you don't want to you don't want to take the chance as you said before no no and and you you want to give her plenty of time to be introduced as well so if we put one in we won't go back in there and for 10 days at least to make sure that she's been accepted because she's still vulnerable even when she's out and running around you know you you don't like to open up too early because the bees will try and protect her um and then they can you know ball her and sting her you know so we stay well away until they've got some sealed brood in there. Mm. So you you think that 10 days is a good time frame? Yeah, it allows her to, to get lay in and it allows them to seal some brood off. And she's got a fair bit of um, laying done then and she's given off her full pheromone again. So, yeah, I, I think that's a fair enough time. But I know what it's like. I know when I was a young lad, I couldn't keep out of the beehive. You know, I remember being told once by the inspector who came round when I was nine and he said, Duncan, you will, your bees will never make any honey. And I said, why is that? He said, because you open them up every single day. And I was, <laughs> you know, I just, I couldn't stay out of the thing. He said, do you know, he said, if you were growing a flower, would you dig it up every day to see how the roots are doing? And I said, no. And he said, well, what you're doing is digging this flower up every day by looking at the hive every single day. But yeah, I was just so, <laughs> I was so keen to look at them and they, you know, and I, he was right. I didn't get much honey at all. <laughs> that's a great analogy. Uh, I haven't heard it put like that before, but that's really good. It's just like digging up a plant and replanting it. Yeah. You, you know, mm. you're not getting the plants are going to do any good if you keep looking at it. Mm. Um, one interesting thing I want to ask about, uh, uh, Buckfast again is yeah. in Brother Adam's book he talks about only introducing a queen after she's been laying for four weeks and he calls that a mature queen right what do you what are your thoughts on that yeah I don't you see we used to put them into queens into to small nukes and the problem is when they start laying I believe that a queen has to really lay so when she's she is as mated and starts laying she needs to lay a lot and i think what that does is it helps the development of her ovaries um and 
gets her laying really, really well. If you go, if she goes into a small colony and she starts laying, she's never really laid to her full potential because she may lay, you know, four little Nico, sorry, not Nico, four little um, Apidea frames, but that's nothing for her. So she'll lay that and then she'll stop laying because there's nowhere to lay. So she's never really laid to her full potential. And I think queens need to be pushed in those first few weeks to lay a lot. So everything develops. And then if you shut them down then to go to move them and send them off to somebody, then I don't think it matters. But I'm very keen to make sure those queens have laid a lot before they go out. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, he said four weeks. So what do you believe the, the, the magic number is there? How much time do you think they should be kept in a Medi-Nuke? Well, I think until they've produced all their pheromones, see, with, with, doing, with doing AI, the queens don't produce their f- full pheromone for up to a month. Whereas if she makes naturally, she produces pheromone immediately. So the problem you have with insemination is once you've inseminated them and put them back into their hive, the bees want to supersede them. Even though they're laying wall-to-wall eggs, they will still want to supersede them because as far as they're concerned, because they're not giving off enough pheromone at that time, they think they're failing. So it takes a long time for that to build up. So when you're doing disseminated queens, you have to go around and check every few days to make sure there's no supersedure cells. And once they do get up to that full um, complement of pheromone, then they won't ever try and supersede them again. But that's one thing you have to be very careful of when you when you do insemination. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So. You offer some training as part of your business, and I think this is really cool. You also offer accommodation on your farm for when you're doing the training. Can you tell us a little bit about that service? Yeah, we, we used to get um, small groups come, um, and I try. I, I used to like doing the groups. With Queen Rear and it's fine, but with AI, I tend to do those as a one-to-one. Um, I think you really need to have that. If you want to spend a weekend with somebody to, and be taught AI, you need to have that one-to-one method. If you're part of a group, um, you don't get to have the, um, you know, you, you, you don't have to, you don't get that one-to-one. You're, you're watching a lot of things done and you don't actually get to do it. Um, what we tend to do is we get people in, we get loads of queens, So you'll inseminate lots of queens and you'll go over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. So by the time you leave, you know exactly what you're doing. And we also show people how to take part, take um, the equipment to get to pieces and set it up. Um, I was taught very well. I was taught by uh, Michael Collier um, up in Shropshire in England. And he did the same thing. He only taught two of us and, and it was the guy I worked with. So we both went there for the weekend. And it's much easier when you're in a small group. Uh, but that's what we try and do. We've got a new accommodation going up on the farm at the moment, um, like pods. We're putting pods up so people can come and stay. And, and it's right on the doorstep, so it's perfect. You know, you can work late with me in the evening or you can start early in the morning. Um, you do as much as you want. 
Oh, that's fantastic. So if people are looking for this training, how do they contact you? Um, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm trying to get on a lot more things, but I'm, I'm on Facebook as Duncan Simmons, so they can contact me through that. Mm-hmm. Um, or and also my through email. Simmons Apries? Yeah, Simmons Apries is on there as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But any of those, and I will always get back to people. Uh, but I'm like I say, I do queen rearing and I do the insemination. Right. And if people are looking to buy a queen, if they're looking to buy a breeder queen, or do you do production queens or just breeder queens? I do. I do. Um, we do a fair amount of um, production queens every year. Uh, but we usually start around May time. Uh, we have a f- uh, quite a few overwintered queens that have been uh, mated at the end of the year and they're held for people obviously who lose queens um, they're for the beginning of the year and then our own so the 2023 queens will start to come through around mid-may so we like to get flying drones by the end of mar uh, by the end of april mm, excellent okay so best way to contact you is via facebook and uh, yeah i would say so yeah or or i could be emailed um and the email address is goldwinguk at aol.com excellent all right is there anything else you'd like to discuss today duncan um not really unless you've got some more questions for me but um i've really enjoyed it oh excellent all right well thanks a lot for being on the show thank you very much Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that episode, having a chat with Duncan. He is a very nice guy and what a wealth of knowledge. 50 years keeping bees, 35 years as a professional, I don't think that there'd be much that he would not know about raising queens. Now, if you'd like to learn how to raise queens or you'd like to improve the way that you raise queens, maybe you want to go down there and spend some time with Duncan. He has accommodation on his property. He offers a service where he teaches people about raising queens. So he's in the southwest of England. Head down there for a few days, have a bit of fun and learn to raise some good queens. And if you're in the UK and you're struggling with Varroa, Duncan is the UK rep for the Instabape. Really interesting invention there for dealing with Varroa little vaporizer very convenient to use so get in touch with him pick yourself up one i think that'd be a really good choice if you want to get in touch with duncan you can by going to his facebook page at simmons apries or contacting him personally duncan simmons on facebook if you want to get in touch with me you can at nixonbees.com.au and until next time thanks so much for tuning in